Welcome to episode 9 of The Buds. We're here to talk about the buds, the boys, the beauties, the maple leafs. We're here to break down week 2 of the NHL season and specifically the maple leaf season. And we're going to be going through uh, all, all the intricacies of the three games that we watched this week. We're going to be starting off with the, the Jets and Leafs game. And then we're going to be breaking down the two games against the Oilers. And uh, we got some great content this week. I'm really excited to talk to to you guys about it. Uh, so, Kian, we're going to start off with uh, breaking down that win against the Jets. And what a beauty it was. Man, they... Uh... That was, that was one of the most complete games I've seen them play. It reminded me a lot of, I think it was game two against the, the Blue Jackets, where they, where they just, like, everything went exactly as it should. The, the defense played well. The offense showed up. Freddie showed up. It was just a solid all-around game. I didn't have really any major complaints about the game. Like, everyone did what they needed to do, and... I really appreciated that Freddie had a really good, solid bounce back game. Really told all the idiots who were saying that we had a goalie controversy to fuck off, um, because he's clearly still our number one goalie. Like I don't understand how that was even a thing. Um, obviously, he didn't have that great of the first two games. It was great to see Freddie bounce back, and the boys just showed up. They they did they did what they needed to do. We were a better team than the Winnipeg Jets across the board they didn't have Patrick Laine playing so like it's like that shouldn't be a, cl- a, good, a close game we should dominate them and I felt that we did obviously like the scoreboard didn't show doesn't show that we dominated them but if you actually watch the game we thoroughly outplayed them in every facet of the game oh I, I would completely agree and you know I was saying to you during the game that you know the Jets remind me of the Leafs from a few years ago where you know, they have all these really great pieces up front. They have a, a stellar goaltender, but man, their defense just sucks. And it's not even their own fault. And it, like you lose Truba in free agency and then you lose. But Buff- they didn't lose Truba. They traded Truba. Okay. Well, they you trade Truba away. Big mistake. Then you lose Bufflin. Nobody saw that coming. Yeah. That that, like that's a big loss. That's unfortunate. Big, big buff was like one of their, one of the, best defenseman you could have on your team just for the, for the size and the grittiness on the back end and the experience. Yeah. Too. Like, like he won the cup in 2010. Right. Like. And like, just, you know, it, it's tough being a Jets fan and seeing that, but um, I, I felt really bad for Jake Morrissey. Yeah. He's like, this is the guy that like, if you look you know, two years ago, right. When the Jets still had a stacked defensive core, like he was playing third pair minutes and, and kind of easing his way into the NHL and finding his position and then all of a sudden, all of their top four leaves, and he's immediately thrust into a top two pair. And it was just like he was not at all ready for that to happen. Neither and was Cody Cece. <laughs> don't even don't even insult Jake Morrissey like that. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I would take Jake Morrissey every single day of my entire life. I would take an injured Jake Morrissey over a fully healthy fucking Cody Fair enough, CC. but that's the fucked up thing is that Cody CC was thrown into a top pairing. Like, why? At least Cody CC had played top pairing minutes in Ottawa, all be like for a terrible team, but at least he had an experience. Jake Morrissey went from being a third pair guy to being a top pair guy over the summer. Yeah, I mean, that's a rough go. And then, like, without line A as well. We, like, we, we probably should have won by more, but we are facing a, a Vesna level goalie. Yeah, that, in, that game would have been a lot 
it wouldn't have been as close as it was if it wasn't for uh for their goalie. Like yeah, I mean he, he made thirty five saves. Like, he played he played, played fantastic, and like that's just what you expect from a Vesna goalie. Yeah, exactly. But at the end of the day, your defense is not good, and I think that will be the biggest detriment to the Winnipeg Jets in this division. But on top of that, you know, you saw a lot of good things out of the Leafs as a as a group. And one of the guys that really stood out to me was Justin Hall, just on his defensive play. But he had two assists. Like he was all over the place. He's blocking shots. He was making excellent defensive plays, making great setup passes. What a guy, man! Honestly, like the way I saw Justin Hall play last season, and how much better he's even got this season. Makes me want to punch Mike Babcock in the face for sitting him in the press box for a whole yeah, year. Yeah, his development has taken leaps and bounds, and it just makes you think that how much further ahead would he be if Babs had not put him in the press box for he an entire like, year? He played like three games like, that yeah, whole season. Yeah, it's pathetic. Like, he did that to so many people, and like, it, I, honestly, that's part of the reason why I don't think that he'll end up in the NHL again. Like I know they had it on the quiz tonight. Like, will Babs coach in the NHL again? I don't think he will. I think he's. Odog would agree with you. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I I totally agree with Odog. I think he probably ends up in in the media the rest of his life because players don't trust him. Like a, a an owner or a GM might bring him in for an interview, and then that GM will then go ask their star player, "Do you want Mike Babcock as your coach?" And they're gonna be like, "No, hard no." There's been too many negative interactions, too many negative stories. Too much toxic things. Going yeah, on. Like, like things and like everyone's like, oh, well, he won the Stanley Cup and he has two gold medals. But like if you look at the teams that he won those things with, they were stacked fucking teams. Yeah, you know, what? kind of like circling back to the, the Jets game, you know, and I, I really emphasize that this was a true team effort because we had seven players on, on the score sheet. That's amazing to see and, and then you have justin hall with two assists mitch marner with two goals so you you got two guys with multi-point games and then you have seven players total on, on the score sheet and that's just a total team effort and then freddie with a 964 save percentage that like that's solid only only the one goal against just a beauty of a game it was great hockey to watch i thoroughly enjoyed it and i'm sure leafs nation did as well yeah and like and the one goal that went in on him you can't blame on him at all no I mean, and it's, uh, I mean, as someone who owns Marner in a fantasy league, I, uh, I gotta love seeing two goals on the board. Fire me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, what's not to like? I mean, like, obviously the Jets didn't play their, their full potential there, but they, and they didn't have Line A and 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 everything. But we, the Leafs played such a good game there that I don't think adding Line A there would have made that much of a difference. Yeah, I would agree, and. You know what is just a bad stat here for um, for Zach Hyman is he had ten shots on goal that game. I mean, there's a reason we call him pots and pans. Ten shots—that's a fuckload, bro. Like for one game and zero points. So, like the, the weirdest. Like I have the weirdest like relationship slash like opinion of Zach Hyman. Because I love Zach Hyman. I love having him on our you team. You love the work ethic. I love everything that he does. But I fucking hate how bad he is at hockey. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's, it's crazy. Like, he works so hard. He's got fantastic wheels, great hockey sense. He fucking gets into the corners and the gritty areas, does everything you want. He's a coach's dream. Yeah, he is a coach. That's he's why a, Babs. He's a coach's dream. But him. man, does that man have no hands, no shot. Like his his whole he doesn't have any offensive brain. 
It's it, all just work ethic. Yeah, and it, it like and he's a great penalty killer for yeah, sure. A, a phenomenal, phenomenal penalty killer. And like this is not me trying to hate on Zach Hyman. I just wish that like you could give him Austin, like not even Austin Matthews, give him like Jimmy VC's shot for a game. <laughs> And see what happens. Give him an average NHL. Like, give it, get, shot. literally give him Jimmy VC's skill set, and he will score thirty goals every year just based off of his work ethic. Yeah, I like and, it, and it's so sad because like I wish more players had the work ethic of, J- of Zach Hyman, but man, he gets so many chances that he should bury. Like people are like, oh, but he scored twenty goals last year, but like he should have scored thirty. <laughs> the chances he gets <laughs> that he misses are like. Uh, Baffling. Like, like he was playing with two baffling. of the best players in the league, and he only scored twenty. <laughs> like, think about this, right? People, I'm not. I don't know how old our listeners are for the most part, but like, think about this. Joe Thornton, all right, took a horrible player in Jonathan Chichu, and Jonathan Chichu scored fifty-five goals in a season because he played with Joe Thornton. His highest goal total after that was 20. So I'm sorry, but when you're playing with elite players, you need to put up elite numbers. And I'm sorry, but 20 goals isn't enough. No, and I'm sure any Leaf fan that's watched Zach Hyman's career with the Leafs has just been like, man, how many goals could this guy possibly have and the worst part is like i would never want to lose him no because it was so annoying to play against oh so annoying he's a hound dog in the corners and like he's gritty as fuck in the corners and that like that's what you want to retrieve the pucks can you imagine putting him on a line with like Sidney crosby how terrifying that would be yeah I'm, well, then again, I mean, yeah, anyone who plays the Crosby is that, but yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I just like I wish the best for the guy, and like I definitely rip on him more than I should, but I feel like most of the times when I'm ripping on it, it's well warranted. Like, like the amount of chances that he gets is astronomical, and he only capitalizes on like five percent of them. Yeah, and but you know what, I'm looking forward to. The rivalry kind of with the Jets. I mean, Jets fans have always kind of hated Toronto for whatever reason. Canadian fans hate, hate Toronto. Yeah, like, I, I think... Across the board. I think maybe the team that hates us the least is maybe Calgary and Edmonton, mainly because they hate each other so much that it blocks out everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that, actually, because I think that they're... They don't they're, give a fuck about us. They hate each other. Their hate for each other blinds each other to everyone else. Oh, yeah. Because I actually don't think that like Calgary Edmonton has a big rivalry with anyone. I mean, the other Canadian team. I really. also don't think that the Vancouver Canucks fans hate the Leafs. Oh, they definitely do that much. They do, but that's more of a city hate than a team hate. Yeah, like people from Vancouver just generally hate Toronto because Toronto is the t- is the city that everyone loves and talks about in, in Canada. And Vancouverites would rather it be Vancouver that we're talking about because it's the more beautiful city because it has mountains. Well, sorry you lost the Grizzlies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, but they can say they got the Olympics, so, like... Yeah, they... I I, I can't hate on Vancouver. I, like, I love... Like, <laughs> it's a beautiful like, place. That's, a, that's the crazy thing is that, like, I Toronto, Toronto gets so much hate, but, like, I don't, I don't really hate on other cities. I love Canada as a country. I think we're I, all... I think of all the Canadian NHL teams, the one that is that warrants the most hate is it's... Winnipeg. I mean, uh, I just as far as of a city, it's I mean, always dark. It's always yeah. cold. It's in the middle of fucking nowhere. Close second is Ottawa. 
Ottawa is actually a pretty enjoyable city, all things considered. The, where the actual arena is and who the owner okay, is. That, and... like, from a hockey perspective, it's brutal. Because, yeah, the, the arena is out in Canada, which is an hour away from Ottawa. Like, main Ottawa. It's awful. Yeah, it, that, so that, like... There's also, like, nothing happening in Ottawa. I've been to Ottawa, like, five, six times in my life, and, like... I've never truly had a good time because there's literally just nothing going on. I showed you a good time in Ottawa. Kind of. We watched a street fight at a bar <laughs> where we were waiting in line. What about at uh, this? Is... Yeah, but that's different. That's a house party. House parties are fun anywhere. You can't say that's that's speaking to Ottawa. That's not an Ottawa experience. House could throw a house party here and it would be just as fun. <laughs> if not more fun because more people would be there. But, uh, but to, you know, to, we're, we're in 2021 here. So, you know, what are those? Yeah. <laughs> Parties aren't a thing anymore. But I mean, honestly, like it, it's it's what the crazy thing about this Canadian division is that we're going to really see some some inner Canadian hate. I am excited. like some very, very deep hate because like think about it, we play the Jets nine more times. We play. <laughs> the canadians nine more times oh, we've played the oilers now twice we still play them seven more times we, but we play the canadian the like flames on sunday and we play them eight more times after that but i saw more animosity between the leafs and jets than i did between the leafs and oilers yeah although well, leafs and Oilers never really have had any animosity no not really because i totally agree with you that like the, the, i think it's the albert like the alberta teams we're we're, we're cool with <laughs> yeah, yeah i would agree i mean i i think we we specifically definitely have an interesting perspective on that because we had an interesting relationship with calgary growing up but the fact that harley hotchkiss their former former owner was a client of our mom and and like we had, we you know, and obviously our older brother was a big fan of Theo Fleury. And not to mention and, Lanny, and obviously Lanny as well for sure. He's <laughs> a Leafs legend Doug, as well Doug, as a Calgary. Doug Gilmore legend. played for them. Yeah, and like, like there's so much mutual. Yeah, like start. I have, I have a lot of love for the Calgary Flames. I loved Jerome McGinley growing yeah, up. Yeah, what, what a, a fucking what a legend. Beauty. Even like when they had, uh, fuck, I can't even think of his name right now. Their goalie Mika Kiprusov. Oh, Mika yeah. Kiprusov he was, was absolutely not to mention noodles. <laughs> noodles uh but mika kiprasov was incredible for so many years so i have so much respect for those alberta teams obviously wayne is is a fucking legend but like i can't say that about the other team i have a lot of respect for the habs but i hate them because it's leafs Habs. yeah yeah that like that i have no around. respect for the sens because they're not really an organization i don't have any respect for the jets not because of their players but because their fans are a bunch of fucking douchebags they hate us for, for and i don't reason. have any respect for vancouver fans because you fucking put a tarnish on the canadian fans name by rioting after yeah that, that right like i actually liked vancouver before that yeah same. and i was actually in vancouver in 2010 so like the year of that riot but before the riots and i, I was rooting for the canucks uh, you guys are facing boston for fuck's sake yeah, i wanted you same. guys to win the cup same. so bad same. to break the canadian drought and it, they, they went into that yeah went into come fight. on you can't do that no it's just like that's so. It, that's not a so, hockey thing to do. It was so un-Canadian. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like beyond the hockey, it, it, like you can't ask a Canadian city. You shouldn't be doing that, man. Especially like look at look at the rap when the Raptors won the championship, the fucking championship. They won it all, and we had a party here in Canada in Toronto. Literally, you couldn't move or drive anywhere in the city of Toronto, and there wasn't a single arrest the whole night because people partied and had a great time and didn't cause a ruckus. You guys lost the Stanley Cup Finals and fucking destroyed your city. You can't fucking do that. No. All right, so I have uh, uh, a 
bit of a hot take here. Ooh, I like hot takes. But at the same time, it's more I'm more so posing a question, but I truly think that I, like I I believe in this statement. And I I want your opinion on it. Is Justin Hall now a bona fide top 4 D-man in the NHL? Like the, Absolutely. In the top and the entire league. Absolutely. I would have said that last year. Really? Really? I was someone who has always been a huge Justin Hall supporter. And I think that he was so underrated last year, underappreciated on a really poor defensive team that really didn't figure themselves out last year. He was so well positioned with Jake Muzzin, who was obviously a solid three. I think they were a perfect pair of a three, four. I'm not saying that he's in the three, four conversation. I'm saying he, similar to Darren Drager said tonight, he's a four, five, but like he can, Easily slot into that four position, no problem, no questions asked, and fill that role. But finally. I'm saying top four. Yeah, but like that, in the a, league, like yeah. no five, no yeah, no five. I'm, I'm <laughs> say, I'd say on most teams he would be a four. Most teams in the NHL he'd be a four, which would be agreeing with your statement. But like there is some teams that might have just a ridiculous defensive core where he might be pushed down to a okay, five. Fair, so it would take a ridiculous D to push yeah, him down. Yeah, I I think he is a really really solid four. And you know what's amazing about Justin Hall's story is that he's an ECHL graduate. He reminds me of, he's like the defenseman James Reimer. Yeah, you know he's he just seems like a, a good guy. And yeah. you know what I I wonder how much of his development has to do with being partnered with Jake Muzzin, a, a seasoned veteran who's got cups, who's always been a solid D man, who plays the right way on the defensive end, but still brings that grit to the game. He throws the body around. He's got a great slap shot, and I think that is an ideal model to learn from as a developing defenseman. And, and I'm just wondering. How much of his development and the success we've seen so far can be attributed to the influence of Jake Muzzin? Hmm. That's a great that's a, honestly it's a fantastic point. And I definitely as as of someone who played defense for a long a big portion of my career, I can never downplay the impact of, that a really good defensive partner has in your game. Anyone who's played defense knows that you're only as good as your depart your partner is because you can only cover so much. Right, as soon as you start to try and cover for your deep your D man, you're now out of position and you're screwing yourself. So having that being able to trust that person on the other side and, and then compliment each other is a huge deal. So I, I can never underestimate the impact that, that Jake Muzzin had on, on Justin Hall. And I have no doubt that as soon as that partnership was made, they they just kind of clicked and and knew exactly where they should be on the ice like you could see that immediate chemistry but between them as soon as they were put together and what was sad is that when when jake muzzin got injured last year you can see that justin hall was very severely impacted by it because he knew no longer had that really solidified partner next to him it's his rock man yeah his rock. rock exactly and like and that's not to say that justin hall played poorly after he got injured but he was no longer as effective because them as a pair just really complement each other so well where I can't say any other partnership on the Leafs defensive pairings last year or this year has that same impact of that Hall and, and Muzzin pairing, which is why I would never touch that pairing if they're both healthy. Period. Yeah, absolutely. And what I've really noticed more than anything in Justin Hall's game is is the poise in his game. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've seen where he's made really, really intelligent defensive plays where he takes that extra second. It's the confidence. It is the confidence, absolutely. 
And I mean, that kind of ties in with the poise where it's kind of a mixture of, of confidence with the patience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to not rush the play. Absolutely. Because you can be confident you're going to make a play, but if you're going to rush it, you might fuck it up. Yep. But you have to have that confidence with the patience and that's where you get poise. And, and the poise is, is taking that extra second, make a move and realize, oh, wait, these guys aren't really trying to get the puck off me right now i can take that extra second and make us really smart play mm-hmm. and that is such a valuable trait in a defenseman it honestly reminds me of something that like if, you know when we're going up right you obviously hear the the color guys they always when they were whenever they speak about elite players they always speak about the fact that they are able to slow the game down and make decisions that are very quick decisions but they seem like they're making them in slow motion and not to try and put him in a top two defenseman conversation, but that is the types of plays that he's been making this year, specifically this year, is that you can see that he's thinking the game, taking his time, realizing he has more time than he realizes, not trying to force a play take, and making the smart play, which was such such a big problem with Leafs defensemen over the last decade. Oh, yeah. Is that we'd have good guys who had inherent skill, but they didn't have the patience or the general hockey IQ to know when to make those proper decisions. They would try and force it up the ice at all circumstances without taking their time, taking that time to regroup, making the right smart decision, which I think is such a big influence. And honestly, I got to give a ton of credit to, uh, to Shelton Keefe. As I think we often forget that Shelton Keefe coached Justin Hall in the AHL as well and helped develop him into the player that he is today. So I think we got to give a ton of credit to Shelton Keefe for the development of, of Justin of Justin Hall and where he is at uh, as far as his, his game today. You know, that's a really interesting point. And I, I never even thought about it or even made that connection that he's been coaching Justin Hall for so long. And you know what? A lot of it does have to do with Sheldon Keefe, but at the same time, a player will only develop if they're willing to put in the work to develop. Absolutely. You still got to put the work in, for yeah. sure. And, and the, fa- the fact that Justin Hall was never really even seen as a rostered player. Like under at, Babs. at first, right, under Babs. Right? Literally got three games in a whole fucking 82 Which, game season. In, in hindsight, now is a fucking travesty. Unbelievable. Travesty. And a suffering defense at that. Yeah, really. They played Martin Marinson over him. Jesus. Like, they played Martin Marinson 40 games over Justin Hall. Yikes. Is all I have to say about that. And people think that fucking Mike Babcock is going to get a fucking job in the NHL again. Are you kidding me? How can you look at that decision and tell me that guy's a good NHL coach? I can't. <laughs> he sat... Hold on, here's a secondary option. What's the guy, Josh Levo, playing regular oh, minutes man. in Calgary, yeah, he, playing regular minutes in Vancouver last year, a bona fide easy 15 to 20 goal scorer, sat in the press box for an entire year. That man fucking got treated like absolute garbage here and did nothing but score as soon as he got in the lineup and still couldn't catch a break. So I'm sorry, but the decisions that Mike Babcock made with players like that those fringe players that disturbed an opportunity drove me insane. Oh, absolutely. And leads me to believe that he will never get another opportunity in the NHL. Yeah, I, and, you know, just going off that, it, it makes total sense to make that assumption, mainly because, like you said before, that the players don't trust him. They don't. 
And that's because he's been burying players in the mind because he picks favorites. And, oh, yeah. and that's Bab's style. Was he would pick favorites? Hold on, let me fucking jerk off Zach Hyman. Before <laughs> <you> fucking... <laughs> well, actually, you know, I was listening to the Leafs lunch, and Andy Petrillo mentioned something that what a fucking beauty! Oh, certified beauty. We, oh, we had the privilege to meet her and what chat with her woman. at the Marlies game in the finals, the Calder Cup finals. Certified beauty. Big shout out. Huge. Um, but she pointed something out on Leafs lunch that I found very interesting, as far as. Babcock versus Keefe in post-game scrums about Morgan Riley. And oh, I did the, the comparison she made was after a good game from Morgan Riley in the post-game, Babcock was like, Ron Hazy's good, eh? And like that's just crediting Ron Hazy and not at all Morgan Riley. And then this year... Sheldon Keefe gets questions like what impact does TJ Brody make on on Morgan Riley's game and you know he doesn't even address TJ Brody whatsoever he's like Morgan can handle himself like he and I'm paraphrasing here don't take this as a quote but he he, he's he's doing good things on his own like he is in control of his own game and he is an excellent player on his own and is is TJ Brody a, a, a great addition? Absolutely. You know, he brings a lot to our team. But Morgan Riley is an amazing defenseman. Thank you, thank you so much for bringing that up because I honestly didn't even... Dude, like, give the credit to Andy Petrillo. <laughs> absolutely. Like, I, I honestly wasn't even... I, like, I didn't even think about that that comment because I literally listened to that episode of Leaf Lunch. I 100% heard that and I 100% agree. But I didn't even think about that tonight and it's so true. It's oh, so true. Like people don't re- like people often forget that Morgan Riley was top five in Norris Trophy voting two years ago. Exactly. Last year was a tire fire for the entire team, for the entire organization, and I'm not blaming that on Riley. He played basically most of the, the the whole season injured with Cody fucking Cece as his main defensive partner. For he played with Tyson Berry for what five games, which was embarrassing. We we thought Tyson Berry coming in was going to be his D partner. Yeah, like, but then he decides to put. I don't know. I'm not. I'm yeah, not we're getting, not. Yeah, we're not. I'm not getting into the Babs. I don't want to fucking deal with that shit anymore. We're done. We're past it. We're past it. <laughs> But like I love that you brought that up because like Morgan Riley is just just such a good defenseman that is so underrated, and I love that Shelton Keefe is now like trying to like pump his tires a little. Yeah, because <laughs> I think he's someone who needs his tires pumped a little bit. He does. Like he's, he's, been, he's our longest standing lead. He seems like someone, and like I've obviously never met Morgan Riley. I wish I could, but he seems like someone who is impacted by the opinions of those around him. Not necessarily those in the media, but the the people who have a daily interaction with him. He genuinely gives a fuck about what the, his teammates and coaches staff thinks about him, and the way that Babcock answered those questions, giving all the credit to Ron Hainsey, seemed like he was demoralizing the entire confidence of your best defenseman on your team by far. And that is why I got to give so much credit to Sheldon Keefe of realizing that and realizing Morgan Riley is our horse. And if we're going to be successful as a franchise, we need to ride that fucking horse. So you're not going to ride a horse that has no confidence. Exactly. And and that's the thing. He, He really, I mean, put yourself in Morgan Riley's shoes for a second here. If your coach is getting questioned on your own play and then says that your D partner is good. 
That's a fucking slap in the face. Might be as well to be a fucking slap in the balls. <laughs> right in the nuts. Right <laughs> in the fucking nuts. Like, that, that hurts, man. That hurts so much. For any human being, like, we know these are professional athletes making millions of dollars, but he's a fucking human being, and, and that, that shit hurts. Especially no. when he's so much better than other defensive oh, parts. so much better. Like, Ron Hainsey isn't a, is not a fucking top-pairing defenseman. Not even close. Not even in this prime was he a top-pairing defenseman. He was the top-pairing defenseman in Toronto because we didn't have anyone else. Exactly. So, big ups to Andy Petrillo, big ups to Shelton Keefe for giving credit to the Morgan Rally, the credit that he truly, truly deserves. Absolutely. And I've loved his game so far this season because you can see the steps that he's taken and he's playing healthy, which is something you couldn't say for the last last couple of years that he definitely yeah. seemed like he was battling some things. And I think the, the break was a bit of a, a blessing in disguise for Morgan Rally to really get truly healthy and up to speed and ready to take on the season. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know what? We're going to move on to um, some hot garbage here. Yeah, we can we can move past this game pretty quick. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we're going to be moving on to the first game against the Oilers. And you know what? The hype around this game was so big because the NHL is pr- like promoting it like, oh, well, it's McDavid versus Matthews. It's like our, our big stars. Seidel versus Tavares. Yeah, like, like oh. all these big stars going against each other. It's going to be a scoring fest, and it was a fucking snooze fest. Oh, my God, was it ever. Jesus. What a boring game. I didn't even want to drink during it. Oh, my God. Like, th- as soon as either team entered the neutral zone, the play was dead. And, I mean, you start off the game with an own goal. It was like watching the New Jersey Devils in the 90s play against themselves. <laughs> Just the trap. <laughs> Nothing but the trap. Everybody play the trap. <laughs> it was just like an awful hockey game. It was so bad. And I know like Dave Tippett was like, oh, but like that was a coach's dream. We were but like, you know, he of actually, course you're going to say that your team fucking won. No, he made a pretty funny comment after the game. He's like, you know what? Everybody's getting excited about, you know, uh, Edmonton versus Toronto. I was going to be this high scoring game. And then when they the and they also tr- you know criticize each of their defense in the past, and then when they play defense, everybody's pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah, exactly. He's not wrong. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious that he brought that up. I'm like, that's about that's spot on. Yeah, it's absolutely spot on. But man, was it a boring game? Like, and like the thing is, like, the the, the lack of scoring, I unfortunately cannot give credit to the defense for it. No. Like on both sides, there was just poor offensive execution. Are you kidding me? Like the Oilers' first goal was Jimmy VC scoring off of Jake Muzzin's foot. <laughs> and like like the amount of like just like blatantly missed opportunities from both teams. Like yeah. we had Connor McDavid fucking fanning on shots. J- Although Jason Spezza missing a wide open net. Like it speaking was, of Connor McDavid. He's gross. He's um, so good at hockey. It's he ridiculous. was really well shut down by that pairing of Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin. Absolutely true. Jake it, Muzzin uh, took him like one-on-one and took him to the outside, prevented him from getting even the rebound and preventing that shot altogether. So kudos to um, Jake Muzzin on that. You got to remember that uh, Jake Muzzin spent the first half of his career trying to shut down Patrick Kane. So he's got Fair experience enough. trying to shut down elite talents. In that Western Conference, so I expect that of him. That's the yeah, whole but that's what you love we, about Jake Muzzin, right? <laughs> that's the whole reason we fucking traded for Jake Muzzin. Yeah, he, like he's a solid guy in the. That's back the reason we gave up first round pick for Jake Muzzin. And you know what? 
Brody at least had a pretty decent game. I thought against Edmonton, he played much better tonight than he did on Wednesday. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, this is the trajectory, but let's focus on the loss. Unfortunately, here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my my biggest criticism. It's like we we literally shot ourselves in the foot in two scenarios here. So first of all, obviously the own goal. Like you score on your own nets. Like whoa. How else do you want to win the game? You're scoring goals for them. That you like, you're already starting off on the wrong foot. But on top of that, when the game was tied with a minute, or sorry, when we were down a goal with a minute left, Sheldon Keefe decided to pull the goalie when we did not have possession. They had possession in behind their goal line, but they were about to break out. And as a coach, you got to recognize that they are about to break out. And if I pull my goalie right now, guess what? They're going to fucking score. And guess what happened? They fucking scored. I, 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 I don't disagree with you, honestly. Like, there's a time and a place to pull the goalie, but you have to have possession. I don't disagree with you, but, like, and I, and I know you don't want me to bring this up, but, like, that that game was... Absolute garbage from an officiating standpoint. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't good. Like, like that was uh, that was the Muzzin worst. Got a ghost call. That was the worst officiated game of the season. Muzzin got leaf season. Muzzin got tripped. Sorry, Muzzin got apparently for tripping. But Sportsnet said it was interference. But Sportsnet said it was interference because the guy was actually tripped by his own player. <laughs> I know, right? Muzzin literally never touched him. Then Chris Russell decided to cross-check Jimmy VC in front of the net, knock him to the ice directly in front of the fucking refs. No call. Not to but mention then, the knee on knee. Not to mention the knee on knee on Mitch Marner. But oh, Mitch, Hyman. it was both. It was two. The big one was on Hyman. But then you call Mitch Marner for putting his hand on the guy's shoulder. Yeah. So, like, that inconsistency drives me insane. But this goes back to the whole point of them not calling cross-checking across the league. Where it's this like, is beyond just cross-checking. This is just bad ref. But here's the thing. It's like they're not going to call a vicious cross-check to a player's spine, which, I mean, this is just speculation, but I'm pretty sure that's the reason Austin Matthews didn't play tonight. Apparently, the injury to him actually happened in the second period of last game. Okay, whatever. But I'm sure that was a contributing factor. I mean, probably. Because he was hurting after that. And no surprise. But then you let, like, a little muffin, like, uh, he literally grazed his shoulder, and you call that a hold? Like, it wasn't like the Zach Bogosian grabbing the jersey. No, he literally just put his hand on his shoulder like, for, like, a second. on. Like, that's the thing. It's like, from an NHL perspective, like, what's the point of that? Like, you're going to call that bullshit where, like, there's a 0% chance of the player getting hurt, but you're not going to call a guy getting jammed in the spine by a cross-check? Where's the logic there? Where's the player safety? Like the crazy thing is like something that Steve Dangle says all the time is that like and he, as as I know he he tries to play the middle middle ground a lot. Like he doesn't want to go full on the refs and seem like one of the crazy Leaf fans that are all well the refs are against us. Like I kind of am most of the time. I'm trying to take that stance as well. Too. And I get that. I get that. But but like when the it, he what he says all the time is that a penalty will always get called when it affects possession. But that's not fucking true. No, not at all. It's not. Because when it affects the Leafs possession, it doesn't get called most of the time. 
But when it affects the other team's possession, it always fucking gets called. So it's the inconsistency that drives me absolutely bonkers. I think the, the NHL refs need, just need to have a seminar to just fucking call the rules as they are in the fucking rule book. Honestly, I just don't think that the refs are genuinely held to any sort of standard across the league. The refs are just, they just kind of do what they want. And they're never, there's never any there's, accountability for yeah, them. I was about to say, yeah, there's no accountability. And this is league-wide. Like, we're not even talking from... No, not even from league perspective. Just in general, the refs are bad. And, and it's most evident in the playoffs. Like, the whistles are just gone in the playoffs. Yeah. But absolutely. even, like, throughout the, the league, there's two penalties that I see I see happen in every single NHL game that are I, I can't remember the last time I've seen them called. And one is cross-checking, and the other is roughing. Roughing is still a penalty. When's the last time you saw a ref or roughing call in the NHL? I honestly don't remember. Can anybody remember? Because it never happens. I don't know. It's still in the rule book. Like, I don't understand. What's the point of even having the rule book if you're just going to fucking wing it? It it just, like, it makes me so... I'm not trying to say I'm any hockey expert or that, like, the refs aren't going to miss something once in a while. Right, like, like there's it, human error for sure. Yeah, like it's not to say that, like, oh, you were looking the other direction and something happened and you didn't see it. That's fine. That's that for, happens. That's for player safety to take care of. Right? Yeah, that's for player safety. That's that's. But that, even if it's not for player safety, so something does some things that are not player yeah, safety. So it just happens. happens. That's just the player being smart and paying attention it's where you're looking. Sneaky. Like we have all done it in minor hockey, where like you come, you you're waiting for the ref to look away so you can chop a guy in the back of the legs who's a piece of shit. Like it happens. <laughs> But it's the stuff that happens directly in front of the ref where they're directly looking at the play and then just like, hey, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And then they call something like the fucking uh, Muzzin trip the other night where you're looking at it. You're looking at it. And there's no penalty there. No. And I think a lot of, especially when it comes to the call of tripping, I think it's become too much of a natural reflex for refs to just call a tripping penalty when a guy falls there are a million reasons for players to fall during a game but before before we get to the final game here because we are uh you know getting low on time here is i just want to ask one question yes do you think that in the last five minutes of a period of no, not the of a period of the third period specifically right in the last five minutes of the third period that refs should be held accountable by the league office and any penalty call should be challenged by the league office to make sure that it's the right call. Um, that, that's kind of doing what the NBA is kind of doing where they kind of correct it after the fact, but does it really change See, anything? See, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like it needs to be challenged on the spot. And like, and I'm bringing this up because Steve Dangle actually brought this up in his last last video was that if you if you let the refs decide, right? So let's say... Let's take the Jake Muzzin trip as an example, right? Last five minutes of the game, that trip is called. They're making it based off of a real-time decision. They're seeing what happens. Maybe they missaw it. And that's fine. Human error, you might have missaw the stick. You assume that it was the opposition player. But I think if you made it to the league that it's an automatically reviewable play, that ref now has to go in, review their own call, and then make the decision. So it's on the ref's onus versus making it a challengeable player play by the coaches. What do you think about that? Um, I think they could implement that if they did it for like 
the last five minutes of a game. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, last yeah. five minutes of the third period only. Yeah, I think that's definitely a viable Because that's obviously where the, the the impact of those decisions are going to be most vital. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would be all for that. Like, anything to hold the refs a little more accountable, I'm all for Because they're not at all right now. But, it's ridiculous. You know, moving on, we're going to be talking about just the, uh, the impact of losing both Robertson and Joe Thornton to LTIR. I think... Honestly, I don't think either are that big of a difference. And that may sound crazy, well, but you know, let, let's do one at a time here. We'll start with. I Nick- mean, but like, I but like, I know you want to dive into one at a time, but like, they're they're both like having similar impacts on the lineup. Like, neither of them are expected to be huge pieces of our team. They're both fringe players in the lineup. So by taking both of them out of it. We have players who can fill their roles. That's the whole point of the taxi squad. Yeah. That, that, so that I don't think it best. makes any sense to try and dive into each one of them specifically because I don't think they're either of them are at a point of their career where taking them out of the lineup is going to be absolutely detrimental to the team. Well, it, it's not so much as detrimental to the team, but more so detrimental to for specifically for Robertson to his development for sure. Yeah, that's because true. he was poised to have a. a pretty big year and he was going to be um, hopefully fighting for uh, a spot on this team and hopefully working his way into a top six spot on this team ideally mm-hmm. um, but that just doesn't seem like it's going to be the case now and with Thornton it does give a lot of the young guys a chance to play but at, at the same time then we lose Matthews for tonight as well so Mitch Marner is like where'd my line mates go <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, like, we can probably expect Matthews to be back by Sunday. He's day-to-day with muscle soreness. Like, he's fine. But and in a short season, give your boys a break sometimes because yeah. you, you want them for the important times. I think one of the benefits, so, like, for sure, is having, like, Joe Thornton. He's still around, you know. He's still giving that locker room presence. even to, Well, it's like I was him. saying before in our preseason episodes, is that, like, Thornton's not there for his on-ice stuff anymore. Like, that's just not what he's there for. He's there to influence the team off-ice, and he's still going to be able to do that from an injury perspective where for nick robertson i do agree that obviously being injured is going to impact his development at some point but judging by the work ethic of that guy and the talent level of that guy i think he'll be just fine when he comes back and like they went on the quiz tonight i do think he plays himself into a regular position on this team and i wouldn't be surprised if he ends up taking joe thornton's spot on that left wing in the top line and pushing joe thornton down to the bottom six where he should be yeah, fair enough, and and especially with an older guy like Jumbo, it, it, like they're probably going to ease him back into the lineup. So it's hard to say what the lineup's really going to look like. For, I mean, even playoffs, today, yeah. today was just kind of a jumble of of lines, right? So I mean, I got to give a lot of like speaking of today, since like we only have about fifteen well, minutes it's a, left. It's here. A, a good segue into yeah, tonight's like, game. <laughs> I got to give a lot of credit. I, I mean, I didn't like Adam Brooks' first period. I think he made some really well. First of all, we're talking about the Leafs versus Oilers. Round two. Yeah, I, di- I didn't like Adam Brooks' first for, first period. I think he made some really poor decisions and and very traditional rookie mistakes. But he seemed to calm down throughout the rest of the game and then obviously got rewarded on the power play by getting a puck shot off his foot by J- Jason Spezza for your first NHL goal. But, hey, it's Y'all your first it. NHL goal. Y'all like, get it. her done. I'm pretty sure that pass was meant for Kerf. It definitely <laughs> was. It <laughs> most definitely was. But you got it. He guy scored a goal. Give him the credit he deserves. And, he was in the right and place. I'm, and I'm glad that he was able to, And, like, I didn't have any issues with him beyond the first period. 
first period he had some very bad decisions, but beyond that he had a great game. And Barabanov, honestly, I just like his game overall. I have no issues with Barabanov. I think he does a, he's do, as far as like what you want from a fourth liner. He does exactly what you want. Yeah, so I, I, have, I also like him there. You know? I have no issues with Barabanov in the lineup. And and then I mean, when you look at the rest of the lineup and how everything kind of shook out, like five on five, but you still like our. I think our best. The crazy thing. The crazy thing is our best five on five shift of the night was Pierre Engvall with, I can't remember, who was on his line tonight? The Simmons and, and who was it, Kerfoot? No. Yeah. Yeah, that sound? No, Kerfoot was playing second line center. Right. So who's the third, third defender? Whatever. There was a lot, there was a shift in the second period where Engvall and Simmons and whoever the hell was on that third line, I can't think of it, the life of me right now, they hemmed the Oilers in for a good minute good minute and were able to get a solid change throughout and kept possession throughout, got a few good chances. And that really started the momentum for the Maple Leafs. It was Engvall, by the way. I said Engvall. Engvall was the center. Yeah, he played center with Simmons and, and uh, Mikheyev. Okay, Mikheyev was what I was forgetting. Suitman. Yeah, so Suitman. So those three together had a phenomenal shift in the second period, which really started to kickstart the Maple Leafs into their high gear um, and that really was it to me was the turning point of the game is they like if you look at the first period the Leafs didn't necessarily play that well but in the second period that shift happened they started to hem the Oilers in and really get some good chances and really try to put the fear of God into the fucking Oilers realizing the Leafs can score goals by any line that we have on the ice and that was great so I got to give a lot of credit to the to the Engvall Simmons and, and McCabe line because they, I, if if it's up, if if I'm saying from my heart, I think they they truly got the, yeah, the yeah. rally started for for tonight's you know, game. If there's a a couple things that I take out of this game, one is Jimmy VC redeemed himself after causing an own goal, <laughs> true, in the last Oilers game, and yep. I mean, let's be honest, that was a disgusting pass from William Nylander. Oh my god. What a fucking pass. But good on, on Jimmy VC for burying it because Koskinen... If he, did, if he mentioned he missed that. But Koskinen did, to his credit, did have the entire bottom of the net covered. Like oh, yeah. He had to get that up if he wanted any hope, and he, and and he, he put he it under it the bar. Like, yeah. a beautiful shot. But good... Re- he missed that, though? Oh, that... He never lived disowned, <laughs> <laughs> especially after scoring in your own fucking net last game. Yeah, right? and that disgusting pass from really no, but, but waste, that, like... see that's the difference between redemption or failure, right? Yeah, absolutely. so he redeemed himself. Kudos to you. The other guy who was a standout for me was TJ Brody. What a game! I would say tonight was his best. He game was all over the puck on the penalty kill, making excellent plays, absolutely. and even on the power play as well. One specifically where he kept the puck in on Brooks' goal. He kept the puck in on a really difficult keep in. And what did I say before? How do you measure defenseman skill? By their ability to keep the fucking puck in. And that is measured tenfold on the power play. He kept the puck in, gets it to Spezza. Spezza gets, gets it to Brooks, and it's in the back of the net. And that is the game-changing play. Absolutely true. So that is huge. So kudos to Brody. He seems like he's finally starting to figure it out with he the He seems Leafs. like he's like getting a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. Like, he's I, that, he, like I definitely say the first three games. There's he, a learning curve, for he sure. He seemed a little tentative and like just a little uncomfortable at times. And he seems like he's like finding his place and where he fits in the process. And, and he's figuring it out. And I, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's good to see. And that's the thing. It's like we thought that was the case with Barry. It's like, oh, he's just learning the system. But then he just never figured it out. 
And now with Brody, like we're only a few games in, and he's really starting to figure it out. So that's good to see. So we're going to be moving on to our closing segment of Buds or Dads dads. for the week. You know, Ken, I'm going to start her off here. Go for it. My dud of the week has got to be Zach Hyman. Yeah. And that's tough because he's such a hard worker. But, man, what a brutal week. Not good, eh? Like, what what I mentioned, starting with the Jets game, like, you have 10 shots and don't even get a point. Maybe you shouldn't be the one taking those shots. <laughs> Sorry, but if you're doubling the shots of Austin Matthews you sh- and you're not getting anything, maybe you should pass it. <laughs> I mean, today was a perfect example. You had a two-on-one with Mitch oh, Marner. Oh, man. On the kill. And, like, didn't didn't take a shot. Didn't and like didn't even really try to make a pass. He just kind of curled and did nothing he, with it. He goofed it, is what he did. Yeah, I, it was it was not good. Not yeah, good. No, I, that that's tough. But you know, he's a hard worker, and, and I, I appreciate what he brings. But at the same time, like man, you gotta figure out these little things. Like you gotta be able to to make that pass or, you know, score that fucking goal or at least put somebody else in the position to score that goal. Like, the hard work will only get you so far and, you know, he's got to figure the rest out. But, you know, I've seen, like, little things of brilliance out of Zach Hyman. Like, I'm confident he can do it. Like, it's just being consistent about it. And if he can bring the same consistency that he has in his work ethic to his his actual skill set, I think he can be an elite player, but he's got to be my dud for the week because this was a brutal fucking week. No, that's totally fair. I and if yeah, no, like it's like I said earlier, I love Zach Hyman as a player, but like he's just got so many flaws. Yeah, who's your dud? I think you know who my dad is, but you got to let everybody else know. Yeah, it's Zach Bogosian. Really? Yeah, I don't like like. He just doesn't do anything. Like, I know you usually like, oh, he brings this toughness and whatever, but, like, how many big hits have you actually seen him throw? Like, he, like, he, like... He's not a big hit kind of guy. Yeah, but, like... He's, he, like, clearing out the garbage in front yeah, of Yeah, but, like, he doesn't really do that either. He, he is His decision-making is all over the place. He, he, like, he, like, tonight he had a two-on-one with William Nylander, so I had to get slap shot the guy's chest. Like He also rang one off the post and was this close yeah, but to like, scoring. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Like, I just don't like his decision-making as a defenseman. I don't think he has any hockey IQ at all. I think he is a, he, he's in the league because of exactly what you say, that he's a big body that likes to hit the body and uh, like hit people and, and plays that physical style of game. But I'm sorry, but I'm I would take hockey IQ over physicality any day of the week, especially when it comes to a defenseman. And I don't think he has any hockey IQ, any none of it, none. He's got nothing. He doesn't know what the fuck to do with the puck. He is a a better version of Martin Marinson. Man, I I think you just rag on this guy so hard. And you know what? We need to clip this and show it to Bogo Norris, the Instagram account. Just so he can give you an irrational reaction to it. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I'm, I'm. On a side note, I'm mad because Rasmus Sandin is sitting in the press box when this pile of garbage is playing every single game. 
Yeah, and especially when you're bringing out 7D, man, I would like to see... Rasmus Sandin is not playing hockey, period. Previously, you could have at least sent him to the Marlies. You have your top your top draft pick from, from last year or two years ago, and he's sitting in your press box not playing at all. That's not helping his development. And you're playing this old fogey who's not good at hockey, making poor hockey decisions, and doesn't do anything beneficial for your team, in my opinion, and you won't even give the guy a chance. You played the new guy from the KHL for two games in the 7D, but you won't give your prospect a chance. And I cannot get behind it, so Zach Bogosian is my fucking dud. But here's the thing, it's like, Lettinen was the one put in instead of Sandin. Yeah, but that's not on Lettinen. But this also has to do with the waiver effects. And what the Leafs are trying to do right now is not lose any defensemen. And if you put Bogosian on the taxi squad... No one's taking him. He's awful. I, I would almost guarantee you will lose him. Yeah, Somebody will take him. People are always looking for that bottom pairing guy to bring some grit to the lineup. And I, I think the Leafs are avoiding that, and that's why he hasn't come out of the lineup. So they're going to take advantage of the players who are exempt from waivers. I guess. I but that, that just co- also goes into the whole waiver thing for the taxi squad. It's stupid as fuck. Like, why would you introduce that? Why, why wouldn't you just keep it for between the AHL and the NHL? It's stupid, especially during a pandemic. Let's just increase player movement, and Aaron Dell is the perfect example. Now he has to go to New Jersey and can't play for two weeks because he has to quarantine. The Leafs lose a goalie because they moved into a taxi squad, not even to the minors. It's just stupid. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. My, my dad is Agbergosian because he's not a good enough defenseman, period, and I wish that Sandin took his place. That's fair, but it's it, it's I feel like it's the business side that's limiting that more than anything. I mean, I don't disagree with that, but I anyway. have to participate in the segment. So, moving on to a more positive note. The buds. The buds. The buds. <laughs> um, my bud of the week has to be Justin Hall. Amazing. And oh my god, what an unbelievable week. Like this guy looked like one of the top defensemen in the NHL the way he played this week. He, buddy was him, blocking shots it's like the flow. The flow. It's, it's his secret. I would say it's his secret weapon. It's the flow. <laughs> it's disgusting. It's greasy. <laughs> Everybody probably hates it. But fuck, if it works, you keep that yeah, shit. Never cut it. Never ever. cut that shit ever. <laughs> never. I don't care if your wife or girlfriend <laughs> hates it. You're keeping that. Keep flow the forever. mop. Keep the mop. We love the lettuce. Let's go. It's working. Like. He, like uh, the shot blocking is one of the big ones, but also just the smart, smart, patient just, just defensive the, the decision making. Yeah, the def- and that's crucial for a defensive. But now we used to be okay with Justin Hall flying under the radar, but now you're noticing him for the good things, which is like the best. That, thing that's like that's the highest praise of a defenseman is noticing. Oh shit. He faked a pass out of the zone and then took an extra second, made a couple stick handles, and then made a smarter pass for a cleaner breakout. Didn't try to force it. Exactly. And Which is what was something we've been playing about oh, Leaf defense for the last decade. Right? Like, it's just something we've been craving in Leafs Nation. Is I it? think he's such an underrated, Man. underrated defenseman. And, like, back to one of our listeners wanted to trade him for Keith Yandel. Yeah, an anonymous listener. What a fucking joke. What a fucking pigeon that guy oh, is, man. Eh? 
Let's just trade Justin Hall for Keith Yandel, an aging Keith Yandel. Straight up. Are you fucking Fuck, crazy? You're a pigeon. Absolutely. <laughs> you know pigeon. who you are. Um, as far as my bud, since you took my bud, because he would definitely would have been my bud, um, I'm going to give it to Bill Nye, the slap shot guy, apparently. My bud of last week. Look at him getting double buds. This guy, I mean, I'm just like, I've been a big Nylander supporter my whole, like as soon as we drafted him. Like the like looking at what he did in the World Juniors, looking at what he did in the minors, looking at what he did in his first team with the Maple Leafs, looking at what he did in his rookie year, his second year, his third year. Like the guy's been getting better and better and better and better. I mean, I think that past to VC kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, absolutely like, fucking does. That's another thing showing poise and patience on the offensive side though. Yeah. Where it's like you faked out that defenseman so hard oh that he god. was sliding across the he ice. He was like, "Oh my god, look at me!" Everybody in the world thought he was going to shoot that puck. Nope, just stop up, pass it over to VC. Like oh. if VC didn't score that puck, I would have traded him. <laughs> Man, Nylander probably would have hated. Him. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like there was an incredible pass, and there would have been some beef. Honestly, like Nylander, as far as like our big four, I know like Tavares is leading our team in goals right now, but all of his goals have been five on five. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna pick uh, an MVP for the year so far, it's Will Nye the Science Guy. It's Bill. Yeah, Bill bow, Nye the bow, Shot bow, Guy. Bow, bow, bow. Also, yeah. Bill Nye the Slap Shot Guy. Yeah, apparently, which is great. <laughs> Love that he's adding that element to his game. But like, honestly, like, sure he has his 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 down moments, but everyone has mistakes. But the fact that he then comes back and capitalizes on an, on their team's mistakes and re- and redeems himself for his own errors is just a show of it, showcase of his growth and that he gives a fuck, and which is just such a big thing that so many Lee fans, sorry, idiot Lee fans, decide to tr- throw shade at him for. And so I got to give all the appreciation in the world to William Nylander, and I'm so happy that he's a Maple Leaf. And... He's my bud for the week, man. Well deserved. Like he, like he. That's back to back buds for William Nylander, and you know what? He's earned it. He's been stellar He's and leading the team in assists. You know what? You know, circling back to our our, uh, our live show with Maple Leafs Media, the YouTube show where we were just thrown with a bunch of potential Nylander trades to all you motherfuckers posing those trades. Go fuck How dumb yourself. do you feel now? Go fuck yourself. How stupid do you feel now? <laughs> Yeah, every one of those trades that we shot down, we shot down for good reason. And Bill Nye, the Actually, wrist shot guy, to, is to go me back why. even further, all those morons, more well, morons, all those morons who th- thought we should have picked fucking Nick Ritchie over William Nylander. You know those people out there who thought we should have picked Nick Ritchie over Neil- William Nylander. You guys are fucking morons. You clearly have no concept of what hockey talent is, and you just Kid. think the guy's tall. There's hockey executives who picked Zach Bogosian over Alex Petrangelo. Yeah, that's let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a pleasure seeing the Leafs at least come up with a winning record this week. Love it, and uh, it's gonna be exciting to see them play Calgary on Sunday. Their Calgary is honestly the team I'm most scared about in this Canadian division. I think they're the most complete team overall. Um, they don't may not have the the crazy high end talent of the Oilers, but they still have really talented players. But their defense is phenomenal, and their goaltending is a lot better. So they're the team I'm most scared of. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they do on Sunday, and and whether Matthews is back or not, we'll we'll see. But I do appreciate anyone who's made it this far on the episode, and uh, never ever forget, go Leafs, go. <laughs>